1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 355 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam all by myself today. Uh, This is a really cool interview that I did at the American Library Association conference when I was there in Washington, D.C. uh, a few weeks back. I got to sit down with Linda Holmes from uh, NPR fame and talk about her latest book Evie Drake starts over, which I'll get to uh, in just a minute. But first, I want to give you guys a really cool shout out from one of our kind of sibling podcasts on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Uh, the podcast is called Novel Conversations. And if you're listening to our podcast, I thought you're really going to like what they do there. Uh, what Novel Conversations does is they've now they're entering their fifth season. And what they do is they take classic books that you either read in high school or maybe you always wanted to read and just never got around to and they really dig into them so they'll be releasing eight brand new episodes every tuesday and it started on july 2nd so uh there should be about two episodes you can get to if you're listening to this on the day that it releases Um, you can find novel conversations on itunes stitcher really wherever you get your favorite podcasts uh, and what they do is they summarize the world's greatest works of classic literature, so they spend about 30 to 35 minutes, and you get the whole story from cover to cover. Um, it's kind of like if SparkNotes was an audio best friend. It's really cool. Uh, so Frank is the host, and he brings on two readers, and the three of them kind of give reactions to stories and all sorts of cool stuff. They're doing a really fun giveaway this uh, this season, if you want to take a look. Um, they're running a, a giveaway at which Visible Voice Books is sponsoring to basically give you brand new copies of all the classics that they're talking about this season, and that involves uh, includes *The Prince and the Pauper*, uh, *Main Street*, *White Fang*, uh, *Frankenstein*. Which I'm a little upset that they didn't bring me on to talk about *Frankenstein* by Mary Shelley, but hey, that's okay. No worries. Uh, All you have to do to enter to win is go to the Novel Conversations Facebook page or you can tweet at them at novel underscore converse or just head to their website, which is frontporchpeople.com. Uh, slash blog and you'll be able to find it there so again that's novel conversations they're a really cool podcast they do really awesome stuff even before we were on the evergreen podcast network i was listening into their conversations because it was like being in a classic literature class that i was enjoying Uh, so i I think you'll like it give it give it a listen it's really cool stuff Um, again that's novel conversations Uh, now i want to just talk a little bit about uh, the conversation i had with linda holmes which is what you're going to listen to in in just a moment. So, again, Linda Holmes is well-known for all of her work with NPR. Uh, She hosts a wildly popular podcast, and she has a new book out called Evie Drake Starts Over. Um, It's a really nuanced, extraordinary uh, kind of romance, sort of a rom-com type of a a book, and it takes these ordinary adults and puts them in an extraordinary situation. Uh, The way that she writes... Uh, human emotions feels so real, and it's so rare for a book to really feel this realistic. Um, I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, or if you think it sounds familiar, it's possible that you've seen that Jenna Bush announced it as her July book club pick uh, over on the Today Show, which is really cool. Um, it was a New York Times bestseller and Linda and I just had a a lot of fun talking about baseball and relationships and as a fellow podcaster uh, it was really a lot of fun to kind of yes and a little bit I would sort of start a sentence and she would know where I was going with it and and she would you know run with it so really good stuff Um, It was an honor to get to sit down with Linda Holmes, and she was very gracious with her time. Uh, She was leaving a a book signing, and uh, there was another book signing literally waiting for her while we were talking. So if you were in that line, I apologize. Um, But hopefully it was worth the wait when you got to meet her, because what a great person. If you want to get a hold of us, you can always find us at professionalbooknerds.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. I want to thank all of our new followers on, on social. We've gotten a whole bunch lately. So thank you for following along. Hope you're checking out the podcast as well. If you have a moment, if you haven't done so already, we'd love it if you give us a rating on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, just a real quick review. Helps people find us a lot more easily. And it, uh, it's kind of sad, but it really does help all of our, us podcasters, which is why each and every one of us asks you to do it. So it takes two seconds go into your podcast app and just give us five stars. And if you want to leave a comment about why you love us, that would be wonderful. We appreciate it. You can also shoot us an email at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Let us know what you're reading. And we'll be happy to uh, you know give us some recommendations. And in case you missed our last episode, go back and check that out with Lizzie Sachs, where we talk all about the various... Uh, connections between food and stories and fantasy and memoirs and all sorts of stuff so lots of good things in the podcast lately if you haven't checked them out um go visit the website professionalbooknerds.com or just find us wherever you listen to podcasts okay my rant is over i'm gonna let you guys get to the main event here which is the delightful conversation i had with linda holmes on the professional book nerds podcast Hey everybody, it's Adam again and I am hanging out at ALA and I am so excited to be sitting with Linda Holmes who is incredibly well known for her podcast and being a culture critic and a radio personality and now a debut author. I don't know when you sleep, by the way, because there's <laughs> so much going on. She's a host of Pop Culture, Happy Hour, and NPR, and has written for MSNBC. BC. And Vulture, her debut novel, Evie Drake, starts over. It comes out at the end of June.
2: Yes, June 25th. June
1: 25th. How are you feeling about that, by the way? I am feeling
2: nervous, but excited. <laughs> it is a great and different experience, and I'm having an awesome time.
1: I was just going to say, what feels different between having your first book come out? come Because obviously people who know you you're so ingrained in pop culture and everything and being so involved what feels different about this to you?
2: it's really um, you know you're more vulnerable in a way when you're just saying to people this is my fictional story and I wrote it and made it up and it's a hundred percent out of my head Uh as opposed to you know I think doing a lot of culture criticism you wind up sort of saying you know this is what I think of this film you have something to react to Mm. Whereas, um, and and there's more of a sense that what you're doing is meant to be um, sort of useful to people. Sure. As opposed to just saying, I just hope that you love it it and and care about it, even though, you know.
1: Absolutely. So um, I should start just so people have reference in case they aren't aware. Can you kind of give us an intro to Evie Drake Starts Over? I like to let the authors do that so I don't say too much of the plot.
2: Of course. Um, (laughs) Evie Drake Starts Over is about a woman. That's Evie. She is a young widow uh, because she is just about to leave her husband. She's unhappily married, but just as she's about to leave, her husband dies in an accident. So she finds herself in a kind of curious position because people don't really know that her marriage was unhappy. Mm -hmm. And so she's not feeling quite how people think she's feeling. And um, she is persuaded by her best friend uh, to rent the apartment in the back of her house to a guy whose name is Dean. And Dean was a, a very good pitcher for the New York Yankees, and then he developed a terrible condition known as the yips, in which you suddenly lose the ability to do whatever it is you're very gifted at doing. Mm-hmm. So he has been sort of drummed out of baseball, and he's a little bit lost, and she's also a little bit lost. Uh, and it's it's the center of the book is sort of him moving into the house and them kind of getting to know each other a little
1: bit. I have to tell you, so I played baseball in college. Oh, really? And reading your book I related to the whole Yips aspect of it on such a cellular level that I was like I was explaining this to uh, some of my friends who did not play baseball and they're like so what is the it's, Yips and
2: it's terrible it's horrible it's, it's terrible It's
1: mental block and there's nothing you can do to overcome it
2: nobody they still don't really fully understand it mm-hmm. there's a really good if you're interested in it there's a really good article from the New Yorker that was in 2014 that kind of re-examined the science mm-hmm and it it does like yeah. it seems like a mental block, but there are also people who think there's legitimately a nerve issue going oh, on okay, where you yeah. lose where it interferes with kind of fine skills yeah um, But then there's also no question that anxiety seems to make it worse. There are some people who there are some people who feel it's related to even to trauma, mm-hmm. past trauma yeah
1: um,
2: they still really don't understand it and it kind of Mm-hmm. Stops. I mean, if you have ever seen the the stuff of, like, Mackie Sasser, who was a catcher, trying yeah. to, just trying to throw back to the pitcher uh-huh. and not being able to do it? Yeah. It's totally nuts.
1: Well, and then there was um, Chuck Knobloch.
2: Yeah, oh my gosh. I
1: feel like, I feel like, like we, you and I could just dork out about baseball Absolutely. for a while. So I remember Chuck Knobloch playing second base, being incapable of throwing it, throwing the baseball. 20 feet. Which
2: he had probably been doing since Little League. Exactly.
1: Well, and then there was Rick Ankiel, who was a pitcher for the Cardinals. Uh And he literally, they sent him back to the minors and became an outfielder because he couldn't throw a ball. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's, it's nuts. And the thing about him that's so interesting is that in, it, it often happens to guys who are older. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often a kind of mid-late career yeah. affliction. With him, he was really, really young, mm-hmm. which on the one hand is so unlucky because yeah. it happens to you when you're so early in your career. But on the other hand, he was so young yeah. that he could go all the way back uh-huh. and rebuild himself yeah. as a position player. And he still he still makes noise at times about wanting to pitch. He did it, I think, just again in the last couple weeks. Yeah. But for the most part, he came back. He's lucky he can hit, is yeah, what people I'll, also have said. Seriously.
1: You know? Th- that actually always surprised me about, uh, and we're getting off topic about It's fine. No, I want to no, talk no. about um, It always shocks me about uh, position, or uh, pitchers who, you never see them hit. Like, I'm, we're from Cleveland. I'm an mm-hmm. Indians fan. Yeah. And so we grew up watching, like, CC Sabathia mm-hmm. and right. Floss El and, and you never people, see them hit. You never see them hit. And then they would play, you know, the interleague games. And you, like CC Sabathia, hit a ball like four hundred and thirty feet, and you're like, "Oh, right, he's been an athlete all of his life." Right. and
2: because, and you know this if you played baseball in college. Yeah. Like, uh, in in levels below the major leagues, it's often true that pitchers are also excellent hitters because they are athletes. Uh-huh. They're really great, yeah. you know, young high school, college athletes, uh-huh. and it it tends to be when they're older. Um, So I think for me as a writer, what makes this so fascinating is exactly this conversation that you and I are having, which Mm -hmm. is, it's such a weird phenomenon Uh and it's so terrifying in many ways. And I think if you're a creative person, I think you relate sort of naturally to the idea that what if I woke up and I never had another idea? What if I woke up and I never could, and I just Mm -hmm. couldn't write anymore and I didn't know why. Yeah. It's very compelling to me, and so to me it puts him in a position, Dean in the book, in a position mm-hmm. where he's kind of having to make a, a new plan for himself, mm-hmm. really without a good explanation yeah, of what went wrong. Well, and even, I mean, you can
1: kind of relate to Evie as well in the sense that, like, I, the way that you set up her story arc with wanting to leave her husband and then not being able to I feel like the whole, like, having this mental block thing could... It also does very much affect people who are widows for one reason or another. I I have uh, a friend who, we were 10 years old and his father passed away, and, like, his mom didn't date anyone for years and years and years, and that was exactly why. And she's like, I couldn't get past, like, feeling guilty Mm -hmm. and feeling horrible and not knowing why. And then I've had friends who their parents start dating someone right away. I
2: think there are... I think people really have a lot of questions about how to um, almost perform grief in mm-hmm. a way.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, they don't know what it's supposed to look like. They're afraid that they're doing it wrong. They're afraid it will look wrong. Yeah. I think there are people who, if someone that they... If, if they have a spouse who dies, they're not sure whether they'll be judged if they date someone else too quickly. Right. And in Evie's case, I think she's... She, she. I mean, how do you go to people who you know... After someone has died and everyone is kind of assuming that you are crippled by, right. by grief. Yeah. How do you go to them and say, actually, I was really unhappy mm-hmm. and I, in certain ways, am, am relieved that this marriage is over, yeah. even if I am certainly not happy right. that this is the way it ended. Well,
1: and people deal with grief in different ways. Absolutely. And because there's been like, I, I'm an incredibly emotional person. And I get that from my mom, and it's so funny because my dad is not. And he's like, when we've, I've had conversations with him where family members have passed away, and he will literally say, like, I should be more upset. And, like, I'm just, like, crying my eyes out. I'm like, it's fine. I'll cry for both of us. But it, it is, it's trying to come to terms with, okay, I, this is the way that I feel, and that's okay. hmm And I don't think, that's the hardest part. It's not even overcoming the grief. for me.
2: Right. There are a lot of different there are a lot of different feelings that I think she's dealing with at the beginning of the book. Because one of them certainly is the the, the kind of the abrupt end of this marriage. Yeah. But also I think it's realizing that she's put herself in a position where she hasn't really let the people that she's close to, whether it's her father or her best friend, yeah. she does not really let the people that she's close to know what's going on in her life. So in order to get it to a place that's honest. Mm-hmm. She has to sort of start from the beginning and and give them a lot of information that they didn't previously have, or decide not to decide that maybe she doesn't have to tell everybody everything. And so those are complicated. I think those are complicated feelings. Yeah.
1: For her. And something that, speaking of complicated feelings and also relationships, something that really struck me, and then as I was looking at like other people's reviews of it, I'm apparently not the only one thinking about this. Is Evie and Dean's relationship is very. Real, which is a way that I don't think a lot of I feel like a lot of books, they focus on issues being caused because of miscommunication, right? And you read so many books, you're like, someone could have sent a text message to someone else, somebody to have, right, right. But their difficulties feel real. And how important was that for you to make sure that this was a realistic? Feeling and conversation between them.
2: I mean, I love what I guess I would call both both kinds of books. I mean, I have loved many books and and movies as well mm-hmm. that rely on kind of silly plots. Whether it, you know, I love um, I love While You Were Sleeping, which relies on this very ridiculous idea that somebody is mistaken for somebody else's fiance. Right, would never happen. It's absurd. Yeah. Um, so I love books like that. But I think in this book, I was trying to get at. Um, for one thing, they're a little bit older. They're they're. This is not the first kind of relationship for for either one of them, and so I think you do get to a point when you're a little bit older, where you sort of just want to be able to talk to people frankly about how you feel. Yeah. So one of the things that happens in the book is that they're they're kind of both able to say, you know, this is where I'm at. This is how I feel. Um. And so it was interesting to me to try to write a story that still had tension in it, mm-hmm. even though there was a certain frankness to the way they talked about their feelings.
1: Right. Absolutely. And that I love that's something my wife tells me all the time: is I am like blunt to a fault. Am mm-hmm. I? And, and I always tell her, and I do it in our office. And I'm, because like, to me, it's just like. This is how I feel. And it took me a long time to get to that. Like I said, I'm, I was very emotional all the time my life in, in high school. Mm-hmm. But I feel like YA books. It's so much like you're feeling these emotions for the first time. And that's yeah. definitely one way to tell a love story because mm-hmm. everyone can relate. Mm-hmm. But also, there's this other aspect of love where I think when you get older, there's something nice about being able to say, like, here's where I'm at in my life. Mm-hmm. Here's where you're at in your life. Let's have a frank conversation. Right,
2: absolutely. And it can still be... I think when you allow people to be really honest about how they're feeling but you still acknowledge that they have challenges in trying to build some kind of relationship mm-hmm. it puts you back in it, come, it puts you back in the world of sort of thinking about what it is in an individual person that makes relationships hard for them not just what is it about the way these people are communicating or what is it about the situation that they're in that's difficult it's also what is it about him what is it about her what is holding them back at this particular moment from being able to make this work well. So that so the tension is coming from that, and that was interesting to me.
1: So I'm curious with how fully formed these characters are, when you decided to sit down and say, okay, I'm gonna write, like you said, a piece of fiction that's going to come entirely from my brain. Did the characters come first, or did the idea of this relationship come first? I guess, like, how did you craft this story?
2: I mean, I think that I think that the situations that they are in, which at at one point they were really, they were two different ideas. It was the idea of writing about an athlete who had the yips and the idea of writing about this widow. Um, They weren't originally part of the same book idea, so that kind of came together later. The situations that they were in were the things that caught my attention, but I think that... um, I think in order to really get anywhere with a story, you have to begin to understand who the people are. Mm -hmm. And I think I learned things about them even as I wrote it. I sort of learned, I sort of figured out things about how they were feeling and what's really going on with Mm -hmm. them. And it it sounds so strange because you're writing it yourself, and yet it's possible to be like, oh, this is actually part of why she's upset. Because, you know, the best example is like, when I was first thinking about the story, I thought, well, you know, she, because she was in the middle of leaving when her husband died, she feels very guilty because everybody else thinks she should be grieving and she feels like she should be grieving. Right. And what I discovered as I wrote it was the element of she's also frustrated because it was something that she felt it was important for her to do was leave under her own power. Yeah. And that was something that in a way she was excited about doing in and in a very specific kind of way, she was excited about it. She felt proud of the fact that she was going to leave under her own power and then she didn't get to an her, yeah. And so she does it. She has to process that marriage in a different way because it's interrupted, sort of.
1: It sounds like, and I may be completely out of, off base, but it sounds like you wrote this linear, like, did you write this kind start of to, start to end? Because you said, talking about learning things about these characters. Yeah. It feels like this doesn't feel like a story where you could have the idea and write, like, the ending.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I knew, I knew basically where I wanted them to end up. I knew basically where I wanted them to be at the end of the book. I did not know exactly what that progress to that point was going to look like. Um, So I did not, I mean, I at one point tried to outline it, and it was just kind (laughs) of, I mean, I'm just not, I'm not that person. Maybe Mm -hmm. I will be with another book. Maybe other people would be with this book. Uh Um, But I kind of had to... Set the situation, get to know what I was trying to get at, and then, yeah, just mm-hmm. kind of start.
1: So that's that's so interesting because I, I'm i the same way where, like, I, in my writing, I know where that they need to get to, but I have no idea how to get them there. My problem is I always run into is I'll start writing and I'll write like 25,000 words of the beginning.
2: This is it. This is the thing. So <laughs> I got to a point in the book where, um, I was sort of stalled out and I thought, have I run out of you know, have I run out of what I know about yeah. this book? Am I, no to, am I gonna have am I gonna have to drop it? And I talked to Rainbow Rowell, who's a very accomplished author.
1: Exceptional pull by the way. <laughs> YA
2: and adult She's writer. A and I said to her, I, I happen to have gotten to know her a little bit through different things, and I said to her, I said, Well this is like what I'm doing and this is where I'm at and I'm totally stalled. And she said, how much do you have? And I said, I have like 30,000 words. Yep. And she said, it's a thing. She no, said, the 30,000 word wall so is a thing. And she said, because that's often the part where you have you have set all of the pieces uh-huh. on the board. yeah. And that point, that 30,000 words point is where you have to really start to kind of move them around. And she said, "Keep writing." She said, "Like push through that point, and then it will once again pick up speed and and have momentum." So I'm telling you, yeah, that 25,000 word wall, I coming feel, straight from Rainbow and now from me. I think, feel so
1: seen right now. It's real. I literally have a, I have a Google Doc. It is. It's like 32,000 words, and it's the first 27 of them in order. And then there's this huge space, and then there's the five thousand words at the end, and yes. in the middle I just wrote in all caps, right the other sixty yes. percent, which yes. is all it yes. says.
2: Yes, yes. I sat at that same point for quite a while with uh-huh. this book, and and people do. It's uh-huh. real. There are whole like, she told me she was like, there are whole conference sessions for writers that are about that exact wall because oh it's basically the end of. If you think that a book is going to come out roughly a hundred thousand words, yeah. right? Uh-huh you're roughly you've roughly written the first act of a three act structure. Yeah. And it's it doesn't mean there's something wrong with it because you don't know what the middle is. People obsess over like beginnings and ends. Uh Middles are way harder in my opinion. Yeah. Because you have to figure out how to continue to have it be interesting. Mm -hmm. But maintain the pace between the part where you're starting out and then getting into that last act, you have to figure out what's
1: the middle. Which is ironic because if it's done well, I feel like so often when you think of like trilogies and things like that, I feel like a lot of times when it comes to trilogies, the middle book tends to be like the one that it's either great or
2: middle ones. Middle ones are so complicated because middles, whether it's of a trilogy or Mm -hmm. of like a three-act structure, middles are where a lot of things like really kind of fall apart or don't yeah i was actually talking to somebody on the podcast about the fact that um in the recent uh netflix romantic comedy uh always be my maybe uh-huh. with uh, randall park and yeah. Ali wong the middle of that like smack in the middle of that uh-huh. is where they introduce keanu reeves mm-hmm. playing keanu reeves <laughs> exactly. And that was so smart because they're in the middle of a romantic comedy and that middle section of a romantic comedy is often the part that kind of lags. And so it's like a shot of adrenaline. You put a really funny... Unexpected, weird thing right in the middle, and it keeps that middle part from kind of sagging down.
1: You did say his name wrong, though. It's America's sweetheart. Oh yeah, yes, America's
2: sweet. Believe me, <laughs> anything that anybody wants to call him about being America's sweetheart is fine with me. He's it's also just, very funny in Toy Story Four. I, oh, have you gotten
1: this? I have. It's I'm, great. I'm very jealous. About He's he is he is
2: so he is so great, and I love seeing him. And always call me maybe. Be- always be my maybe mm-hmm. because. Um, he's so funny in it. Yeah. And he's done all these, like, John Wick uh-huh. and serious things. Like, he's so funny.
1: Well, he's so genuine, too. I saw, a, like, a, a little tweet thread of one of the directors who was working with him. and said they were driving to... Uh, the set one day and Keanu just looked at him as they were parking and he's like movies, movies we're making a movie today and like got out of the car and was just so excited to make a movie and he's like and this wasn't like his first movie it was like his he's his just scene. like
2: I think a really interesting dude yeah. I just I I like an interesting dude yeah. and he's just a, an interesting presence and he, in that particular movie mm-hmm. he's just like I said smack in the middle of a romantic comedy yeah. where they can really lag yeah. he's just uh, he's just right in there and it keeps it moving
1: so you kind of transition to something I actually wanted to ask you about because I am blown away by your ability to kind of keep up with pop culture. Like it feels oh, man. overwhelming. So how do you like? Do you ever feel? I feel like this way about in the, being in the book world. Like it's mm-hmm. there's always that next book where I'm like, oh god, I haven't read that. How do you feel? Like how do you kind of keep up with? It? Especially pop culture moves so
2: fast. You don't. The answer is you give up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you give up on the idea that you're going to see everything or take in everything, and yeah. you focus on. Um, I focus on a couple of different questions. One is, what are, in the case of the podcast, our listeners? What are our listeners most interested in? Sure. That's part of the calculation. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, three things. I'll say that's one part. Yeah. The second part is, what can I help bring attention to that maybe is is going under the radar a little bit or yeah. could go under the radar a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely. <laughs> that's also something that often I seek out. As a thing that even if we don't do a full episode about it, I can talk about it on Twitter or something yeah, like that, absolutely. help give people recommendations. And then the third thing is kind of what am I the right person to talk about? What What am I the right person to be able to give the analysis to? So for example, um, I certainly don't know everything, but I know a lot about romantic comedies. So if it is a romantic comedy, I feel like that's something I should seek out because Um, I know a lot about them, I love them, which means when you love something, you know the difference between good and bad. And that's the most
1: important part, I think, is having the, like, you you know, you mentioned your kind of three things, but also it's the, you need to be passionate about this. Absolutely.
2: And so, I, what I have often said about my job is that the greatest thing about this job is that even when I am working, I am uh, 25% doing something that I enjoy. Because I'm usually reading or watching. The difficult part about the job is that even when you're doing something you enjoy, you're 25% working. Whatever I'm reading, whatever I'm watching, even like strange, ordinary conversations with people, um, you're always kind of thinking about how does this relate back to a conversation I might have for work or something. Yes. So there is a lot of like bleed over, uh-huh. and it can be really challenging. There's just no way to see everything. You just have to do the best you can to find the right thing. I am
1: hearing some Evie and Linda Holmes here. Yeah. I feel like learning <laughs> to be okay with, and that, I struggle with that with, like I said, the book world. I always struggle to be like, okay, I need to have read every single book by insert person here, and it's just... You just
2: can't. And it's, you know, I think also it's very important to get past the part of that that is is about how will I appear to other people. Because there are people who appear to have read everything, but it's because they pretend to have read everything. Or it's because they act as if... The things that they have read are the only things that are important. And all the other things don't really matter. So in a way, they've read everything yeah. as they see it. So I think it's very important to get to the part where it's like, what is important to me? What is it important to me to read and to know about? Versus what do I think other people are going to like judge me over?
1: Yeah.
2: There are people who would be mortified by some of the holes in my knowledge. Sure. Um, and you just eventually you just... Buck up and get through
1: it because it's all you can do. Yeah, I that was that was me actually recently. I um, did a Wendell Berry deep dive mm-hmm. exclusively because Nick Offerman loves Wendell Berry sure. and talks about him all the time. And so sure. I found myself I literally read like every Wendell Berry book I get my hands on because mm-hmm. I was like, I if there comes a time. Nick Offerman is coming to Cleveland and we like host an event for him. I need yes. to know everything and I just like I need to be better at accepting. Well no,
2: but I mean if it's Nick Offerman, that's a, that's a good reason. Right. I exactly. feel like that's a good reason. Yeah,
1: that's, that's one of those things I just want to be like, I want to talk to you about Wendell Berry so you'll think that I'm cool.
2: Oh absolutely. I I would I would read almost anything if I thought i meant Nick Offerman would think and I was it. cool.
1: Yeah. For sure. All right. I want to be mindful of your time because sure. I know that you have to get going. But we do at the end of our podcast, we call it the Nerd Nine because I like alliteration. Sure. Time, like questions. Uh, so the first one is what's the last book you finished? Reading?
2: The last book that I finished reading was actually Lisa Tadeo's book, Three Women, which is coming out this summer. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. It is a uh, piece of nonfiction writing about kind of women and sex and desire. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Uh, Again, Lisa Tadeo, Three Women. So good.
1: Uh, What's your favorite place to read?
2: My favorite place to read is on my couch. What a boring answer. But true. On my couch, preferably with the dog sleeping on top of me. That's that's actually the
1: perfect answer. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember the book that made you kind of fall in love with reading when you were a kid?
2: Yeah. I mean, the first adult book that made me fall in love with reading was Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Um, I had read. You know, I was also a great reader of Judy Bloom and stuff like that. Judy Bloom is probably the most important Mm -hmm. formative writer of my of my youth. Sure. But Rebecca would be one.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, What's one place you'd like to travel you have not yet been to? Australia. You sort of answered this, but cats or dogs? Dogs. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Do you have a
2: coffee sitting in front of you?
1: <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Christmas. festive. Yeah, love you, Christmas. You're in New York, right? I live in D.C. D.C., oh, okay. Um, oh, that makes sense, so we're in D.C. Uh, what is your favorite food?
2: What is my favorite food? Oh, damn. Um, pizza?
1: And then if you get a... In in New York in my mind. If you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick?
2: Oh, wow.
1: I get yelled at for this all the time. I feel like I should tell others. This is such an time.
2: incredibly tough question. I'm just going to take a deep breath. And you know what? I'm going to say Nick Offerman. And you know why? Because we were just talking That's about Nick really Offerman. Answer, and it's as good an answer as any other. It is as good as that So too. I'm going to go with it.
1: And then uh, last question for you. What do you hope that readers take away from Emmy Drake Starts Over?
2: I hope that it is a story about a lot of different kinds of love, and I hope that what they take from it is that um, most of us are trying, mm-hmm. and even when we are not perfect, we are worthy of love.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank
2: you. This is so much fun.